welcome to Future Up Close. Here we explore the topic of responsible innovation. Today we have a very special guest, Professor Charlene Schwestra. Uh, Professor Charlene is the uh, head of philosophy at the University of Maastricht, all the way in the Netherlands. And he's also the adjunct professor at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, NTNU. He is the editor of a number of responsible innovation books, lots of uh, papers on the subject, as well as a keynote speaker on the subject intersecting, intersecting politics, ethics, and technology. So a really big welcome to Professor Schwestler. Thank you. I would like to start off our conversation by asking you, why responsible innovation? Looking back, what made you interested in the area of ethics and politics of innovation. In particular, was there a moment that made you want to pursue a career in the field? Okay, thank you. It's a very good question. Um, I think if I look back, uh, probably what sparked my interest in responsible research and innovation, even if the word didn't exist yet, was um, the debate on biotechnology in the 80s and the 90s, mostly. Um, huge technological steps forward, but society didn't simply cheer on um, uh, technological progress, but had rather critical questions and tough ones about, uh, okay, not only is this safe, but also should we do this? Is this the best way to achieve the goals that we have? Maybe there are alternatives, there are less invasive. Um, also questions about the meaning of life. Uh, so there's a religious dimension to the debate. And um, well, the debate became quite heated and it also became clear that uh, you couldn't ignore this. If technologists and scientists simply shrugged their, sh uh, their shoulders and said, well, um, they, 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 they will change their minds, that was really a very bad um, strategy because in the end it would, could cost them a lot of money because if society doesn't want your technology then you're not going to succeed. So I, looking back I think the, the, the ethical and political controversy on biotechnology um, really uh, was for me a, a starting point because it also showed that you can't neatly separate technology and economy on the one hand and politics and democracy on the other hand. The two are entangled and it made me realize that uh, they are partly entangled because uh, people in society are affected by innovation and uh, the technologies that are designed and developed for them, they impact their lives. And uh, then it's only a matter of time because before they wake up and say, well, if this technology is, has become such a huge force in modern society, we want to have some say over what is developed. In our previous conversation, you mentioned that responsible innovation, the, uh, the field, yeah. 
uh, started about 10 years ago. But some, some people say, a colleague of yours says much earlier, but let's just say it's from 10 years ago. Okay. I'm wondering what triggered the shift because you said that it first started as a national funding scheme. Uh, so in your case, Dutch government, and then you moved to a um, EU scaled project called Horizon 2020. And please correct me if I'm wrong. So what actually pushed the change to actually set up a program mm -hmm. as such or programs um, called Responsible Innovation? Yes. Um... I don't think people agree on this. So this is my opinion, and I'm perfectly willing to share it, but don't expect everyone to share it. Um, I think, um, first, first, let me correct you. It, uh, you make it sound like it's a Dutch invention that now conquers the world. That's certainly not the case. Um, responsible research and innovation builds on trends that have been going on at least since the 60s and the 70s. And uh, trends like uh, disciplines like risk assessment or um, technology assessment or environmental impact assessments or medical ethics. Uh, these are all little streams that kind of uh, came together in, in, in a river that, that we now call uh, responsible research and innovation. And I think the label started to appear so some 10, 15 years ago, mostly in some parts of America and some parts of Western Europe. And I would say that probably in the United Kingdom and the Netherlands and maybe some Scandinavian countries, it kind of uh, rooted early and also acquired um, a form, let's uh, say, in, in, in the form of uh, financial funding schemes. And that always helps a lot. If the government throws in its weight and says there's money, for people who, who contribute to this uh, common endeavor, then that, that's really a big uh, decisive stimulus. And uh, especially if it happens on a larger level, as in our case, the European Union, which embraced it. Um, I think probably you can't disconnect it from the, Europe, the financial crisis from 2008. Um, which, uh, uh, as a which had as a consequence that uh, investments in technology innovation were at risk of dro dropping radically because the market had other concerns. And what you saw, I think both in America and in uh, the uh, European Union, is that the, these governments stepped in and said, okay, we are going to fund innovation with essentially taxpayers' money. Now, this is rather a direct political uh, connection. And then if you say the taxpayer has to pay for the new technology, then of course the taxpayer also wants to have some say about what is going to be developed. So where, where in a mark, pure market system, the entrepreneur decides at his or her own peril, uh, 
that were what people want. In in when it when there's more public funding involved, you can you can have a democratic debate or a democratic decision procedure to say, okay, what do we want technology to achieve? So what you saw was that there was a formulation of the big societal goals, and it's kind of in the same spirit as the UN has the millennial goals. And what do we want to achieve? And of course, no hunger and uh, no malaria on the list, but there's maybe also on the list a good functioning democracy and can digital technology help us there? Or maybe it's these are aging societies. So how can we develop technology that enables aging people to stay at home longer and, and not to have to go into a care home? Or um, we are worried about uh, climate change. So does anyone have good ideas for a circular economy if so please knock on our door and we have money for you so so basically is what you get is we want innovation to serve societal goals and it's the it's 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 politics and it's the society that sets in agenda adds money to the formula and says okay anyone who can help further this this agenda is welcome so i think that 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 financial crisis weirdly um, provided a kind of uh, stimulus and for a while i was worried that when the memory of the crisis would fade um, also the the energy behind responsible research and innovation would fade you don't see that happening. So I, I think the crisis was maybe the trigger, but it was not the underlying cause. I think the underlying cause essentially is that everyone now realizes two things, that our lives are shaped by science and technology to a large extent, that's one thing. And the second thing is that that if we're not careful, that this is not always beneficial. Do you think what's been happening, the high-profile companies such as Facebook, has helped to educate the populations? Yes, I think that probably let's say the 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 environmental crisis uh, that we are aware of for decades now, that, that was the first big awareness that, that technology doesn't only bring good. Yeah? Um, yeah. I think that with Facebook, something interesting happens. We see a broadening of the, of the ethical agenda. For a long time, the, there has always been ethics involved in innovation, but it was mainly a rather limited um, uh, ethical agenda. The basic message was don't create technology that poisons us, that explodes us, or that pollutes our environment. If it's safe, if it's healthy, and if it's uh, not too dirty, go ahead. Yeah? Mm -hmm. With Facebook, we see 
societal concerns, ethical debates, that are not about exploding, that are not about uh, poisoning, at least not physical poisoning, and it's not primarily about the environment, even though all these servers, uh, they do create a huge environmental problem. Uh, the cloud doesn't come for free. So the concerns have a different type of uh, character. They have to do with quality of information that we can gather, with the, um, uh, the, the polarization uh, of, of the population into opposing camps, into maybe uh, miseducating us into go only for the clickbait and not for the longer, uh, more complex stuff. Uh, so that we think that the world can be caught in, in tweets. Uh, uh, so so, so um, uh, privacy concerns, uh, that, that people all over the world are willing to share things with an anonymous American company, which they wouldn't dream of sharing with other people. The fear of that, that this information will in the end lead companies to manipulate us, maybe into buying stuff that, that we wouldn't know, want if we thought longer, but also in voting for people that we wouldn't have voted for without uh, Cambridge Analytics uh, helping us a little bit. So th there's a lot of concerns that Facebook is, is affecting the, the social and cultural texture of our societies. Not necessarily for worse, could also be for good, because I, no one is against social media, but it does raise questions about what's a responsible use of those media, what's a responsible ownership structure. And do we really want our data on American servers at the other side of the world? Well, uh, these are questions that... Uh, these are new type of questions that are tough ones that we have not been prepared for to deal very well. And we always have the feeling that we are too late. That's probably our fate. Things have to go wrong first and then we come up with remedies. But um, the result is that everyone is thinking about those technologies and their, their wider ramifications. And then it's only a very small step to say, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe we could win something by thinking ahead about these possible consequences of the technologies that we bring into the world. Because often it's much more effective and cheaper to remedy mistakes at forehand than after they have manifested themselves. And um, uh, let's say a major component of, of responsible innovation is the willingness to invest time, energy, and money in, in anticipation, in looking forward, in foresight, exploring the future. And then I'm not, not only what I've called the hard impacts, will it explode, will it poison, will it pollute? but also the softer impact. What will it do to, to, our, yeah, to our society, to the way we relate to one another, to the way we 
we deal with we do politics the way we take care of our um, vulnerable um, members of the population uh, the way we experience privacy and, and how we deal with it all those things uh, are at stake um, if we want technologies to well, basically to make this world a better place rather than a worse one it's great that you brought that up because that was my next question for those people who don't know what responsible innovation is would you mind describing what it is well it's uh yes I, at least i can try uh, <laughs> there are lots of nuances um it, it's it's not like uh, it's a protected label yeah? so 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 um, anyone can, can add to their own flavor. I would say there are some core elements though. And, and let's say the first one would be um, anticipation. So think ahead. Uh, there's no responsibility with your eyes closed uh, or only thinking about uh, today and tomorrow and not about next week or only think about your own square kilometer and not about the wider ramifications. So that doesn't come for free. You you have to maybe to hire people, uh, social scientists, um, uh, economists, uh, psychologists, uh, who can help you explore that. Um, so so with this 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 need to for anticipation uh, you also broaden the team of experts uh, the experts can no longer be only technical experts uh, if you want to think about the societal ramifications uh, you need to work with different types of experts so so a typical responsible research and innovation setup is marked by interdisciplinarity uh, because from different disciplinary angles we we can correct um, each other's blind spots now anticipation needs interdisciplinary collaboration between experts but it also needs another thing and that's the input of laypersons of the broader audience um, so a second feature apart from let's call it anticipation is uh, stakeholder involvement uh, responsible research innovation is always to some extent participatory and the idea is that the people who have to live with the consequences of the technologies they deserve some influence on the technologies themselves and so they should be invited during the design and development process and um, it's it's really mind-boggling to see how little this happened in the, in, in the past there was often very very little uh, user involvement uh, simply uh, in the, within the laboratory there's a small group and then who decide this is good for everyone yeah, and they bring it out into the world. Um, often, of course, this was also incredibly bad business because if the world 
wasn't ready for it or wasn't waiting for it or had, had other ideas, then, then of course your, your proposition would fail. So um, the, there are several good reasons, um, some more democratic, some more uh, marketing-like eh, to, to talk and listen to the customers, but maybe also to the people who don't use your technology, who don't buy it, but who do have to live with the consequences. I don't have to own a car by being impacted by it. Yeah? Probably I'm, as a pedestrian, it's easier to be impacted by the car than when you're in it. Talk with the people who, who are using it, who will live with it and listen to them because they often have information that may be relevant for your design. So what you see in uh, responsible research and innovation is, is all kinds of experiments with user involvement or so-called living labs, or uh, they, they, they have prototypes of the technology and they send it into the world. But then they also organize focus groups to, to learn from people how they use it, whether they use it, which buttons do they like, which don't they, do they not like, why. And so enter that conversation with the stakeholders. So stakeholder involvement or some form of stakeholder participation is a second feature apart from anticipation. And the third one I already mentioned, so I can be brief about it. Responsible research and innovation is not simply about avoiding bad technology. It is the attempt to create good technology. So technology that will help us do things that we consider worth doing. And this means that it's, uh, it's more blatantly ethical than simply hard avoidance. And this means that, that you also will enter, you have to enter more debates about what, what are good goals and what, what should we put on top of the agenda. So let's call that, let's say, maybe aspirational rather than harm avoidance. It's about we want to go somewhere rather than we want to avoid things. So then we have these, these three features, uh, anticipation uh, together with interdisciplinarity, um, stakeholder participation and aspirational. And I think that that covers uh, a lot of uh, the main features. It reminds me of... Um the saying the director of our ethics center in Australia said once at a forum, he said, it's the difference between just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. You know, it's like the, the moral decision of doing things because um, it serves an actual good purpose um, that leads us towards a better future or a better society. So, Thank you for that. Let's say the question often used to be, are we allowed to do everything that we can? Yeah? This is still the negative one. It assumes that we first know how to do things and then we send it to the ethicist who says, in some cases, no, you can't. Yeah? You're not allowed. I think that's the negative approach. RI is the positive approach. What do we want to be able to do? Yeah? That, that's the driving question. I really liked, I watched one of your interviews 
And I really liked what you said. We will probably cover this in a second, but um, you were asked, uh, one of the pushbacks for responsible innovation is that, you know, uh, people often say, but it's the future, you can't predict it. And your answer was, well, but every single time we produce a product, we're already looking towards the future. So responsible innovation is actually a way to do that better. And I love, I love that approach, right? Because it seems so weird because in, people invest a lot in marketing and in commercial businesses, it's all about consumer research. But, but people in that realm sometimes don't see responsible innovation as looking at marketing research at a broader sense. So, um, yeah, it's just quite interesting. Well, if sometimes people say you can't investigate the future, and then they say true, but we can't not investigate it either. Uh, the moment we, we leave our beds in the morning, we start anticipating the future. Uh, every moment, if I put turn on my coffee machine, I anticipate, in, uh, anticipate that in 10 minutes I will have coffee. And of course, there's no hard guarantee that I will get coffee. The thing may uh, explode or the electricity may go down. Uh, but we make reasonable uh, anticipations of the future. And it's only empty rhetorics if people say, I stick to the facts, I don't deal with speculation. Everyone speculates. The only question is, how good do you do it and what do you speculate about? Would you be able to share some of your experiences in working with uh, organizations, private and public? What were these private public organizations looking for when they went and did responsible innovation? Yes. Okay. Let me. I, I can tell. I can talk hours about this, but uh, because it hasn't, it has been a bumpy ride. Let's say we we are making it up as we go along, and if I'm sharing my experiences, the idea is not to say you should do that too, but probably let's not make my mistake. And I hope in Australia you will start at a higher level. Um, the the one of the projects I was involved in was a uh, national nano dialogue, and basically what was happening uh, some ten years ago uh, was that nanotechnology uh, became uh, large, became kind of a hype. Uh, and people were saying, okay, we have had biotechnology, we have digitalization, and now we have nanotechnology. And, and this is going to impact us in all kinds of ways and fundamentally too. So we need a national dialogue about this, this new type of technology. We're going to invest in it, but we want to do that with society and not apart from or for society. So um, what, what, um, what part of what I did, there were science cafes, there were television programs, there were theater plays done, there was material written for high schools, uh, etc. So all kinds of initiatives to, to make the Dutch citizen think about nanotechnology and its possible impacts. And what struck me was that most of the debate was still monopolized or hijacked by health concerns. 
Yeah, so, um, because if you make nanoparticles, you don't know how they will behave exactly. And everyone was basically afraid of, are we creating the new asbestos? Which is, of course, a very important, very real concern and should be discussed. But it's what I would call a hard impact. If you only discuss, let's say, the health impacts, you miss a lot of other impacts, for example, maybe that uh, we can make surveillance cameras uh, like the tip of a needle. Uh, do we want that? Uh, what, what, what will that do? Uh, or we will create all kinds of products that will be used and may change the way we are doing things. Uh, so there, there will be impacts on how we live and how we understand each other and what we aspire from, for, for, for what we aspire from life. And no one is talking about those. It, it is like if we have dealt with the health issues, end of debate. So what we did was we developed um, call, short stories about uh, how nanotechnologies, which were uh, assuming they are safe, how they would, for example, change the, the, the nursing practice and or how they would change uh, government surveillance of its citizens or how it would change all kinds of things that could also change. Not saying this will happen, but this technology will enable these type of changes. And we have to think ahead, do we want that? Or do we want to have some regulations or a little legislation in place? So that was really an attempt to broaden the societal debate and to, to wean it off this exclusive focus on safety concerns. Because that's important, but there's much more uh, that technology is doing. So in a sense, uh, just to clarify, your the hard uh, risks you're, you are referring to are the things that you can count, more likely to be countable things, quantitative type of um, issues, whereas the soft impact um, group of issues are things like morals and how, how you change our values and um, things that are not as clear to define. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's yeah. um, let's say policymakers like numbers, mm -hmm. which is great and understandable. Unfortunately, there are also important things that are not to be captured in numbers and statistics. And if you say, well, I can't deal with those, okay, you can choose to ignore them, but they won't go away. So um, let me give you the example of the smartphone. There are some concerns about the health uh, of, of the smartphone. And maybe the radiation does something to our brains uh, to some extent or whatever. You can measure that. You have laboratory experiments, you have experts. But it would be grotesque to say that the main concerns about a smartphone are its, 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 its radiation. The smartphone is a social and cultural revolution. And if you don't want to talk about 
the social and cultural revolution because it's harder to capture in numbers, you make yourself willingly blind. Yeah, and this, of course, has to do with the type of science that we give credit, and the more it looks like physics, and the more it looks like uh, uh, mathematics, and the more we take it seriously. So risk assessment often looks like mathematics, and whoa, how scientific can you get? But social and cultural changes are very real, but you, you have to capture them in probably in stories. Yeah, about describing a day in the life of a nurse in a caring home in 2030 using nanotechnology. Yeah, that will give you an idea on how the lives of ordinary people may be affected by these innovations. And if you want those people to think with you about how to how to embed those innovations in a responsible way or how to improve upon them, then, then you need those stories. And it's not about that you're going to predict the future because maybe we explode in two weeks and, and that's the end of the story. I can't predict the future. But we can come up with intelligent stories and that helps prepare to some extent for an unpredictable future. So um, I think we should... We should train ourselves in using our imagination with regard to what technology is, is doing to us. And uh, what, what, what's one of my main concerns is that there are constantly people saying, let's not imagine, let's not imagine, let's really put the blinders on and only look at that very limited set of hard impacts. Let's only look, it's going to explode, is it going to poison, is it going to pollute? Even though those are incredibly uh, relevant questions, they shouldn't be the whole agenda. That's a great, that leads to uh, my next question. And um, I want to ask you the challenges of applying responsive innovation. Because one of the, the key arguments is that against a movement like responsible innovation is that, yes, of course, ethics and responsibility is great, it's really important. But in practice, people find it sometimes, uh, quote unquote, impossible to do things like stakeholder um, engagement because the power difference. Okay, and the other argument that often pops up is, yes, ethics and responsibility responsibility is very important. But if I'm just trying to survive and make enough money to stay alive as a company owner, then I don't actually have the capacity to look at ethics and responsibility. Is a um, good to have but not necessary. So I'm asking this question because I know some people listening to this will think about that. Um, what, because you've worked with companies, I'm just wondering what would you say to that perspective? Uh, I think there are very sensible objections, first of all. Uh, um, I'd say the worst thing we can do for responsible research and innovation is uh, ignoring the obstacles on its way. 
Um, so let's first acknowledge these obstacles and then, okay, also acknowledge that we're not going to have responsible innovation in one week or a year. That's a trajectory. I think that um, to some extent it's a trickle down. This means that the government can take the lead and should take the lead here. Um, we underestimate uh, how much money, public money, is going into innovation. And these are billions and billions and billions of dollars and euros and, and yens and what have, what have you. Um, so um, use that power that comes with public funding to develop good practices. Secondly, uh, large companies have an extra obligation, an extra responsibility to start with responsible innovation. Um, they have the pockets, uh, the, the, their pockets are deep enough uh, to, to have uh, um, their own departments going, uh, dealing with, with investigations. They can co-fund all kind of research. So there is a, uh, uh, let's say, especially if there, there's an opportunity for public-private funding uh, so that the government is funding part of it and then uh, the company, the rest, um, I think that, that, that that's a logical second step. Uh, large companies may also have the larger incentive because they are very much visible. And society is watching, is growing critical, even if it doesn't immediately translate into consumer decisions. Uh, the market is sometimes slower to respond than the public opinion. It, it, eventually, you do have a market interest uh, in, in behaving. Um, it's, it's also for, for, from the perspective, there's a lot of research that, that shows that um, if your company is trying to do some good in the world, uh, you, you, in all likelihood, you will have nicer and more motivated employees. Uh, it, it, there, there's a real link. Uh, it's really important for employees to work in a company that they can feel proud of rather than be ashamed of. Uh, um, so, so, so there are incentives for big companies uh, uh, to invest in this. Now we have the smaller companies, and if if, if you are barely able to survive, basically there's not that much space. Of course, there is a possibility to uh, come together and uh, to organize. If if you all chip in hundred dollar, then in the end you can uh, invest uh, in in some research. So I think there you need to, um, to 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 organize smaller companies into larger holes that 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 are able to to invest in responsible research and innovation. And even if that if that doesn't work, you can of course. Uh, read your newspapers, don't stick your head in the mud, uh, be aware of what is going on. Um, uh, you, you, you can engage even in a small scale with some stakeholders. Uh, um, so, so, so be creative and um, uh, try, try to organize the dialogue with society, uh, even if very modestly and on a, on a, on a small scale.
uh, doesn't always have to be uh, very expensive. Uh, you can also profit from the research that, that's being done and being paid for by others. Uh, these are not usually private reports that I'm writing, even if it's paid for by a big company. Great. What's next for responsible innovation? What's next? Um, good question. Um, basically, I'm talking now to you, that's already next. So in the sense that um, uh, if more and more communities and entrepreneurs and governments uh, learn about it, uh, learn also from the mistakes that are made and, and copy good practices, if there is an exchange, uh, simply look at each other's websites, type in responsible research and innovation, and uh, you will find uh, a lot of information there. And, and so, so that, that's really a, you, you can build on the efforts of, of, of uh, 10 years work now. Um, so I would say everyone should know the word right? and, and it should be a normal element of business parlance and to, to talk about responsible research innovation. And I think uh, eventually society has to be critical on its companies and companies have to open up to society. And let's say if, if society doesn't care, uh, companies won't probably won't care. Um, so some public awareness is is a, is a precondition, and and I think there's still a lot to be gained there. Um, the the grand societal challenges will not go away, so so there, there's still a very very real reason to keep investing in innovation that will actually help us survive the future, and because the future um, uh, does look bleak in some respects and um, we, we will need all hands on deck uh, to, to come up with uh, creative uh, and, and responsible solutions. Uh, of course, a lot of this is also dependent on, on politics and, and economic crisis and, and all kind of unforeseeables. But essentially, and this is what I learned from the last 10 years, because at first I, I was afraid that it would that it would only be a symptom of the financial crisis of 2008. Now I'm convinced it's here to stay. And it's here to stay because we are living in increasingly scientific and technological societies and cultures. And that, that will somehow force more dialogue between those technologies and science on the one hand and society on the other. And we all have to work um, on the quality of that dialogue. So I'm curious, what's the most surprising thing you've learned? For me, the most surprising thing was probably that I would go to companies and say, I have something new for you. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, after listening to me, they would say, 
Yes, there are new elements, but it also fits rather nicely with things that we have started doing recently. Um, for example, what I call stakeholder involvement, that they would often call user uh, involvement. And basically the idea is the same, that, that for a technology, for an innovation to be a success, you, you can only do it with society and not against society. So you need to, 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 to open that dialogue. Uh, thinking about, um, let's say, anticipation, um, that, that is not something that I have to tell them. Um, they are, of course, in the business of anticipation because you can't survive as a company if you have no idea where you're going. Um, of course, they are not always anticipating, let's say, all the impacts or broad enough, or it can be somewhat uh, focused on what they consider to be relevant for their profits and ignoring the rest. So uh, I'm not saying that I did, didn't have anything new to say, but... It's also, I do want to say that there are deeper currents that are shifting the balance between economy, politics, technology, and science. And we are riding that slow wave, even if, whether we call it responsible research innovation or not, eh, there is that wave and that's carrying us all. Now let's serve it as best as we can. That's responsible research and innovation. Perfect. Well, that's a really great ending, I think, to our interview. Thank you so much for your time and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank yes. you. Good luck in Australia. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.